Last week, we touched on briefly the little soap opera, little novella we had between Alejandro and Juanita. Some of y'all, some of y'all remember Alejandro, and some of y'all know what I'm talking about. It's okay if you don't, because you can just go back to last week and watch it real quick <clears throat> when you get home. But today, we're not going to talk about Alejandro and Juanita. We're going to talk about another guy before we get into the message. His name is, his name is Bob. His name's Bob. Do I have any Bobs in the room right now? All right, I'll continue. All right. Bob is, Bob is an overweight businessman who decided it was time to start losing some weight. He decided, you know what? It's time to get healthier. It's time I start, you know, making my way. You know, I'm, I'm trying. I'm trying. He decided it was going to make himself, uh, you know, lose some weight. Now, before, <laughs> before, uh, oh, he knew Alejandro, right? So he wanted to lose some weight so that he wouldn't lose his wife to Alejandro. <laughs> so, guys, focus, focus, focus. So Bob, <laughs> it continues. No, so Bob took his new diet seriously. He really wanted to make this happen, right? So seriously that he decided, you know what? I'm not even going to take the same way to work that I used to because I always have to drive by the bakery. And if I see the bakery, you know, I just got to stop and get some snacks, some, you know, baked goods before I go to work. So he changed his direction of driving to work. However, one morning, he shows up to, to work with this gigantic coffee cake. Now, at this point, all his, all his coworkers are like, Bob, no, you're doing so good. You know, you don't, don't give in, Bob, don't give in. Those are good friends to have around, right? Don't give in. Don't do it. <laughs> and Bob's like, let me, just, just relax. This is a divine coffee cake. And everybody's like, what? He's like, let me explain. So I was driving to work, and divinely I felt this urge to drive by the bakery. And as I drove by the bakery, there it was in the window, right in the middle around all these other things. I knew I shouldn't stop. I knew I had to continue my diet, but I prayed, and I said, God, if that coffee cake is for me, let there be a parking spot right in front. And by the eighth time I went around the block, the parking spot was right there. So he stopped. And he bought that cake, and he brought it to work. How many of us pray that way? If, Lord, if there's a parking spot there, then it's for me. And you drive around once. Ugh, it's not there. I'm going to go again. I'm going to go again. And you drive again, and again, eventually it's going to be there. Eventually it will be there. Don't play with temptation, church family, because it usually does not end well when you play with temptation. 
I want to say welcome back to our battle series. Um, <laughs> we're in this spiritual war, and as I speak to a handful of you throughout the week, I'm not surprised to hear the things that some of us are encountering. Um, I mentioned to you before we started this that don't be completely surprised. Does anybody remember that? Because some people like forget that part. Go back four weeks ago. I said, do not be surprised that in the midst of our uh, series on spiritual warfare, in the midst of focusing our attention on winning this spiritual war, do not be surprised if the spiritual war increases in your life. If the battles increase, if the trials and tribulations increase, and I'm looking, I, I, I'm not going to make complete eye contact, but there's like four of you guys that I have spoken directly with that y'all going through some stuff right now. And I have to say it's not just coincidence. I'm guilty in my younger years of saying to my parents, why do you guys have to super spiritualize everything? I'm guilty of that. Dad, mom, I'm sorry. Right? I'm guilty of always, I'm saying like, but why, why is it, why, it's just, it's just the way it is. It's because this happened that this happened. Why are we trying to make it all spiritual? But the reality is that we are in a spiritual war. Everything that happens to you is a result of spiritual entities fighting for your soul. Now, some things are a result of your own decisions, but that's also a part of the spiritual war that we're in. So, yes, I have retracted my statement, and now I say the opposite. We can't just say, um, let's not super spiritualize this. We have to understand that it's all spiritual. When we walk our, our walk with God, understanding that this is a spiritual war and that things have spiritual reasonings, things that are happening to us have a spiritual reasoning, then we are less tempted to then fight with our hands and with our energy. And with we, are more, we are more prone to then get on our knees and fight spiritually. But that's only if you truly understand that this is a spiritual war. Satan's tactics in this war to lure us in, we've been talking about, was temptation. <clears throat> Once he has that foothold, he'll establish a stronghold. Give her a sticker. Give her a sticker. In your life, he'll establish strongholds in your life. But do you know that you can stop that from happening? You can stop that before it happens. Or if you find yourself with some strongholds already, you can surrender those to Christ so that he can tear them down. Remember the definition that we read for temptation. It said, an attempted incursion by the enemy troops into God's territory with the goal of gaining and establishing a stronghold. Last week, we saw an example of someone who was tempted. We talked about Eve. 
And we saw how she was tempted by the serpent in the garden. We saw how she reacted and responded to that temptation. Did she give in or did she overcome? She gave in. She gave in. So did Adam. They gave in to temptation. In today's message, we're going to take a look at someone who overcomes the temptation. We're going to start by reading the entire part of the scripture, and then we'll break down some spots. But I want to read it all this morning. It's found in Matthew chapter 4, verse 11, through verse 1 through 11. And guys, my throat still isn't 100, so I'm going to be drinking a lot more water than usual. <clears throat> then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights afterward, he was hungry. Now, when the tempter came to him, he said, if you are the Son of God, Command that these stones become bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him up into a holy city, into the holy city, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, the real high part of it, right? And said to him, If you are... If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, for it is written in their hands, uh, and he shall give his angels charge over you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, it is written again, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. Again, the devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these things I will give to you. All these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, away with you, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord God and him only shall you shall serve. Then the, then the devil left him and behold, angels came and ministered to him. Amen. Let's talk about how Satan works, the things that he does to cause us to fall. We're talking about temptation. We're wrapping up temptation today. But let's talk about what are the things that he does. Okay, we know that the word is temptation. But how does he work within that? The first thing I want to say is that Satan works with your natural desire. What are some of the things that you naturally desire. His first temptation was centered around food. Mmm, some of us like, yeah, I can taste lunch already. Why? Why is it around food? Well, it's simple. Jesus was fasting. 40 days, 40 nights. He was hungry. He was hungry. Some of y'all when we did the fasting, we did a couple of days, and you felt like that was, you were going to die. Can you imagine 40 days and 40 nights? <clears throat> he was hungry. He was naturally hungry. So what does Satan do? 
<clears throat> he attacks it in a way where he can use Jesus' natural desire against him. If you are the Son of God, command these stones to be bread. You know you hungry. You know you hungry. Look, this can be a nice juicy steak. All you got to do is say the word. You could turn these stones into bread if you really are the Son of God. James chapter 1, verse 14 and 15 says, Temptation comes from our own desires which entice us and drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions, and when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. Temptations come from our own desires that entice us. And you know what? I, you know what's interesting here? It says again, when this when sin is allowed to grow, you're like, allowed it? I don't be allowed. No. You choose if you will allow sin to grow in your life or not. You can't blame that on mommy. You can't blame that on daddy. You can't blame it on your sister, your brother. No, you are responsible. You can't blame it on your wife or your husband. You are responsible for allowing sin to grow in your own life. You cannot pass that to anyone else. Anybody ever practice jujitsu in the church? Anybody? Any jujitsu people? Okay, good, good. You want you want to come up here? Show me something. No. <laughs> oh, he's new. He's new. He doesn't know. I gotta tell my, one of my Marine Corps stories, and then he'll be like, "Oh, pastor's a Marine." Okay, that's different. That's different. You gotta pass. You gotta pass. You didn't know. You didn't know. This is the thing with jujitsu. Jujitsu is a very interesting form of martial arts because it's a very, um, uh, you're not exerting a lot of energy in jujitsu. What happens is you're using the energy of your opponent to defeat your opponent, right? And so what happens is when someone is throwing a punch at you, right, the average person is going to try to block it. The average person is going to try to like maybe punch through it. And th these are things that normally we do. However, in jujitsu, that's what I was going to call you up here. I was going to do a move and maybe, you know, use that example. <laughs> jujitsu, right? So I'm going to play both people, right? Jujitsu is somebody goes and punches, freeze, right? <laughs> then the person here, he turns with, and then you see the punch is coming, Remember? And he takes the punch, he doesn't stop it, but he uses that momentum and he throws his opponent. He doesn't try to exert his own energy. He saves his energy and uses the opponent's energy to defeat himself. It's much easier to fan a desire that's already there. That momentum was already there. I didn't have to create it. I didn't have to stand here, then hold him, and then ugh, throw him over my shoulder. That's a lot of energy. But it's a lot easier if the momentum was already there. Our desires are already there. 
And the enemy, he fans that, and he uses what we already have as desires, and he uses that to tempt us. It's much easier. It's already there. And then he'll use that desire and divert it down the wrong track. Think about the basic physical desires that people have. Food, right? Food. Uh, sex, liquids, these are things that people deal with, people uh, desire. And how has Satan used these desires to destroy, to steal, to kill? Well, we think about food and we think about how gluttony affects people. People say, no, but it's all good. No, gluttony affects people. And then all of a sudden you have health issues. And you have food addictions. We won't point to Rachel right now. We won't point to Rachel. She's not here to defend herself. She loves to eat. But the thing is, when we go and we pass a point where we have gluttony issues, we have um, health issues, we have food addictions, all a result of our natural desire to want to eat. How about Intimacy. Everyone, there's, a, there's, there's a, a, a fleshly, a natural desire to want to be with someone, to close to someone. And so what the devil has done is taken that natural desire that we have as human beings and has twisted a web of immoral, immoral things throughout our society. I mean, I'm not going to get into details about this, but it's like, it's like you know, uh, the, the, the sanctity of marriage is no longer being honored. And now it's stepping out of your marriage and, and this and introducing this and bringing this in and moving, being a part of that. And it's this whole mess of immorality. But it was fanned by the natural desire for intimacy. It leads to adultery. It leads to broken families. It leads to disease. There still are diseases that can be contracted. People don't like to talk about that anymore. Liquids, water, in this case, example, alcohol, right? Now, alcohol or one drink or two drinks, sometimes can lead to five drinks, to ten drinks, right? We know what the Bible says, you know, to not, to not be drunk is what the Bible says. But alcoholism leads to drunkenness. It leads to addiction. It leads to addiction where sometimes, like, we got to have it. And people are like, no, I'm not an alcoholic. I'm like, all right. When was the last time you didn't have a drink? No, but it's just one. It's just two. No, I know, I know, I know. I get it. I get it. I'm not judging you. I'm just asking you. When was the last time you functioned without a drink? Alcoholism leads to addiction. It leads to destroying lives. It leads to so much more. I mean, it can even take you down a path where people have lost everything. Everything. Now, consider how most people have a desire for respect. Who desires respect? Right? Michael's like, 
Mike couldn't put his hand further straight. That's right. Who, we desire respect, success. There's a desire for respect. There's a desire for success, for money. And none of these things are wrong in themselves. We need money. Pay the bills. Desiring that so that you can pay the bills is not wrong. But the enemy will take these things and easily turn them into temptations that divert people from God's perfect plan. Because then the enemy will take your desire for respect and say, you know what? You want respect, Izzy. The way you got to get it is that you got to walk over to Caesar and body slam him, and everybody in the room is going to give him respect. You know, you know what they used to say when you were younger, right? Just hit the biggest one. Hit the biggest one as hard as you can. You'll get respect. These, those are the things that the enemy does. See those little, little things? How, he, how he's trying to say, oh, you want respect? This is how you'll get respect. As opposed to, as opposed to being an honorable man, a man full of integrity, a man that is strong in his convictions, a man that his yes is yes, and his no is no. A man that will say, when he says something, he does it. That's how you get respect. That's how you gain respect. And then, you know, we can go with money and success and how people will, will lie and cheat to be successful. How they will lie and cheat to to get money and things like that. These are all ways that the enemy will take natural desires and fan it so that we'd fall into temptation. So he, 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 uh, he works with our natural desires. The second thing he does is he probes for weakness. He probes for weakness, and we touched on this last week, I believe. Satan will always look for your weak spot and start there. He'll always look for the weak spot and start there. It may be an area of weakness when you're more likely to sin, right? Uh, you know, uh, like an area of criticism, anger, envy, lust. You ever been criticized and you hate it? Some of, some, some of you don't take criticism very well. Some of you, when you're told some things to help you change your life so that you can be better in life, you reject the criticism. Now, I can understand being criticized by people that don't know you. I can understand being spoken about or spoken down to, people that are not close to you. But if you have people that have said they love you, that they care about you, and they're, they're giving you this, this uh, the, they're criticizing some of the areas in your life so that you can work on it. Sometimes we just don't want to hear it. So what happens is that's an area of weakness for you. And then the devil sneaks in. You see? They don't like you. They're talking behind your back. And then it goes into a whole other spiral of things that the enemy will throw. Darts of the enemy into your mind. Because we said that the mind was a battlefield. Anger. Some people get angry, and then they blank out. They don't know what they said. They don't know what they did. They don't know what's going on. And the enemy's like, I got them. I just got to wait till they get angry. And when they get angry again, 
I'll, I'll attack. Because we all get angry. It may be a moment of weakness, like when you're hungry. Like we just said about Jesus. Some of y'all get hangry. Some people, some people, when you guys don't eat, you don't think right. You don't talk right. you like, you can't function things. Some people, for some people, it's the coffee in the morning. No coffee. You can't function, right? And so if you catch somebody before the coffee, you might, you, you might encounter someone that you don't know. Like, who are you? I thought we were friends. Areas of weakness, tired. Issues with your children. You ever had an issue with your child that was overwhelming you so much? Somebody's coming to talk to you about something else like, I don't got time for you right now. Like, whoa, whoa. Calm down. Same thing with your spouse, your wife, your husband. You're going through some stuff. When you're married, at home, you go to work, and they're just trying to be like, I don't got no time for you. Whoa, whoa, are you all right? You need to take a break. You need to, like, go, you know, take 15 minutes, breathe, and come back. But this is what happens. Because in moments like that, we are weak. Satan finds that weakness, and then he strikes. The problem is not that you have an area of weakness. We all have weaknesses. We all have weaknesses. We all have areas of weaknesses, and so that's not the issue. The problem, the problem is not that you have an area of weakness, it's what you do with it. Do you resist and fight back or do you give in? In these verses we read, Jesus' weak spot was his hunger at that moment. Now, I want to take a moment. I want to compare how Jesus handled, uh, we see how Jesus handled uh, his hunger but let's compare it to someone else who had the same weakness, which was hunger, and how he handled it. And I want to turn to Genesis chapter 25. Verses 29 to 33. And it says, now Jacob cooked a stew, a sancocho. And... <laughs> And Esau came in from the field, and he was weary. And Esau said to Jacob, please feed me with that same red stew, for I am weary. Therefore, his name was called Edom. But Jacob said, sell me your birthright as of this day. And Esau said, look, I am about to die. So what is this birthright to me? Then Jacob said, swear to me as of this day. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. He gave it all up for some soup. This is a story, if you're not familiar, of two brothers. Two brothers. One's hungry. One has food. One has a birthright the one that's hungry, and the other one does not. The birthright, for you guys to understand that, birthright is pretty much is, is, is his entitlement to inheritance of his father's uh, family's fortune because he was the first son. The first son in this culture pretty much inherited 
everything from the family. And what he did was he gave that up. He gave, he gave up his position, his entitlement for soup. How hungry are you? Jacob was like, mm, you hungry? Come on, man, Phoebe, I'm really hungry. Are you sure you're hungry? I'm about to die here. How many of y'all say that all the time? I'm about to die if I don't eat. I'm about to die. All right. I'll give you some soup. Just sign here. Just sign here. At that moment of weakness, <laughs> he made a decision that was going to have major consequences in his life. Verse uh, In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 16, it says, Make sure... That no one is immoral or godless like Esau, who traded his birthright as the firstborn son for a single meal. Dang, that's how he's remembered in the New Testament? <laughs> he's called immoral and godless. Because he was dying of hunger and gave it all up for some soup. God was definitely not impressed. And we need to guard ourselves in moments of weakness. How do we do that, church? Who has had a moment of weakness? Anybody can say, I have had moments of weakness. Do you know that having the right people around you truly helps? Do you guys guys hear me? Do you know that having the right people around truly helps? The right people are going to be honest with you. (laughs) And and they're going to tell you or show you the areas that you're weak in. Bro, you really shouldn't go there because you know you can't. You walk by that place, you want to buy it. Don't go by that corner. They all know you. They all know what you used to get. They all know, you know, what you want. Don't do it. The right people are going to be honest with you, and they're going to they're make sure that they tell you and remind you the areas that you're weak in. The right people are going to encourage you to stand by God's word. They're going to encourage you to stand by by God's word. The, The right people are more concerned about your soul being good than your feelings. Because I know that this is, we're living in a world of, you know, how you feel. Uh, oh, bro, you know, you, that, that, made, that didn't make me feel right. Ah, I'm sorry, but it's not that I don't care. I do care that you're not feeling too good, but I still have to tell you this truth. Now, this is what happens. This is what happens. The wrong people, say wrong people, will tell you what you want to hear. 
They're going to tell you what you want to hear. It's okay. Don't worry about it. You don't got to do nothing about that. Just let it be. Or they'll say, like, no, no, let's go do something about it. I, I, I'll get the car. You jump in. We'll go pick up some other people. They're going to give you the wrong advice. The wrong people <laughs> will give you secular advice, and they will even encourage you. They will encourage you to distance yourself from the right people. The wrong people will encourage you to distance yourself from the right people, but they won't say it up front. They'll manipulate it and say things like this. Bro, they said what? They don't know you like I know you. They don't understand you like I understand you. You don't need to talk to them. You don't need to, you, you don't need to even go over there anymore. I got you. I'm your, I'm your ride or die. That's all you need. And yet, that ride or die, yeah, you'll ride or die all the way to the depths of hell. Because you refused to uh, adhere to the biblical advice that was given to you. And you've chosen what soothes your ears. You have chosen to, to, to follow what makes you feel better emotionally, and yet your soul is dying. Your soul is breaking. Church, please, I hope you hear that. The next thing Satan does is he sows seeds of doubt. <laughs> Al was ahead of the game. Al caught it earlier. It says, then the devil took him to the holy city. This is Matthew chapter 4, verse 5 and 6. It says, then the devil took him to the holy city, Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple and said, if you are the son of God, jump off. For the scriptures say that he will order his angels to protect you and they will hold you up with their hands so that you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. Satan began two of the three temptations with this phrase, if you are the son of God. Did anybody catch that? If you are. I wonder why. It was no accident. But to understand this reasoning of why Satan does this, I, want, I, I need to take you to the two verses that were right before we got into this passage. Matthew chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. After his baptism, as Jesus came up out of the waters, the heavens were opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and settling on him, and a voice from heaven said, This is my dearly loved Son, who brings me great joy. If you look at your Bible, the very next verse is the verses where he's being tempted in the, in the wilderness. The first thing I want you guys to note here is that in the original Greek scriptures, there were no verses or chapter divisions. It was written out straight through. So there was, and we look at it now, and we see chapter 3 ending at 17, and then we see chapter one, four, chapter 4 starting with verse 1. And many times to us, it's like, oh, it's a new day. It's a new chapter. It's a whole new 
thought. But in the original writing, in the original Greek, it was all together. So what happens is one is happening and another one happens right after that. It runs right into this passage that we read. The second thing is that Jesus had never done a miracle yet. He had never done a miracle. He had never healed anyone. He had never cast out a demon before baptism. Right? He has never done any of these things. There's no record in the word of God that tells us that he, had, he has ever heard God tell him up to now that he was the son of God. Jesus had an understanding in his heart of who he was. Right? But in the Bible, that is the first time that Jesus hears his father's voice saying that. <laughs> he, he has an understanding, right? And God's word is planted in Jesus' heart that he's the son of God. It's planted in there. But what Satan's strategy is at this moment, right, he wants to, what he wants to do when the word is planted in your heart he wants to move in and steal that word by sowing seeds of doubt. Here is Jesus who's never done any miracles. He's never done any, anything supernatural yet. He's getting baptized. He knows in his heart that he's the son of God. It's implanted that he's the son of God. He hears it for the first time. And then right after, the devil says, if you really are the son of God. If you really are the son of God, okay, show me. Taunting him. How many of us, how many of us, we, we have an idea of who we may be, right? We're trying to be who we feel God is calling us to be. And then we hear the enemy's taunts. You think you're what? You think God is going to use you in what? No. You can't even speak right. You can't, you, don't, you can't even focus. You can't even be. And the list goes on. Matthew chapter 13, verse 19 says, The seed that fell on the footpath represents those who hear the message about the kingdom and don't understand it. Then the evil one comes and snatches it away. The seed that was planted in their hearts snatches away the seed that was planted in their hearts. Jesus was speaking from experience. Jesus is not just saying something that he hasn't encountered. He's speaking from experience because the wicked one had attempted to snatch the word from his heart. Here's an important lesson for us. If we hear the word of, we hear the word of God through, through the sermon, and we hear the word of God through when we study the word ourselves, Right? That's how we hear God's word. Then you need to, you need to make a decision to respond to that word. This is, this is how it goes. You hear God's word and you choose to respond to it. Saying, you know what? I need, to, I need to, you know what? I need to let that penetrate my heart. I really need to go in that direction. You're right, God. You know, this and that. And there's a, there's a moment of response. Or it's... Nope, I ain't going to do it. Right? You respond with yes, Lord, or you respond with no, Lord. 
Then, after that, it doesn't end there because then, after your response, you have a responsibility to guard your heart. That's the next step. To guard your heart. (laughs) Or else, Satan will come. And if your decision was yes, Yes, Lord, I'll follow you. Yes, Lord, I'll obey. Yes, I'll be more disciplined. Yes, I'll be more committed. Yes, Lord, these are my, yes, Lord, yes. And then we leave our hearts unguarded. The enemy comes right in, swoop, bloop, and takes it out and pulls it out. Then he tries to make us forget about the decision that you made. Or... He wants you to doubt the decision that you made. Oh, maybe this is not for me. This is probably not for me. We have to guard God's word that's been planted in our heart, that's been entrusted, that we need to allow it to take root, water it, nurture it, so that it can grow and bear fruit in our lives. How do we do some of these things? Well, Sunday morning's message, right? Let's start with the easy way to do it. So, look, everybody can do the easiest way to start doing this is you take Sunday's message as you're writing down notes, as I see all of you guys doing. I see, I see, I see. Right? Or you rewatch it, and then Sunday's message becomes Monday morning's meditation. The very next day, you start to dissect it. There were four points. The first point was this. Second point was this. This first point, is there an area in my life that this applies to? And then you know what? You take a time to pray about that. God, yesterday in the sermon, you know, Pastor mentioned this, and, and I was thinking about it. Lord, is there an area in my life that, 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 that this is speaking to? Show me, guide me, lead me. It takes a moment of meditation, prayer on the message. If you get into the habit of doing that, then what happens is during midweek, you'll pick up another part of his word to meditate on. And what happens is you're guarding your heart. If you don't pray and meditate on it, the enemy will snatch it away. Can I give you guys an example? How many times have you heard a sermon on Sunday? You're sitting there, and you're like, oh, my God. God, you're speaking to me. Altar call happens. You run up to the altar. You say, that's it. I'm done living like this. I'm going to make some changes in my life. I'm going to put God first. I'm going to do this because God really just, he spoke to you. The Holy Spirit stirred you up. And you know what? You couldn't even stay in your seat. He's like, no, I'm going to run up. And you come up here. The elders pray for you. And you leave here. And you feel so great. But two days later, you're doing the same thing all over again. That is what we call leaving your heart unguarded for two days. And by Wednesday, the enemy had already stolen the word that God had put in your heart. So how many of us have been robbed? We have been robbed. He is a thief. And so many of us have received a word from God that was designed to change your life. 
and it was left unguarded. And the enemy went in and took it quickly because he could not stand to watch who you would have become if that word would have taken root in your life. Church, guard your hearts. Keep that word. Meditate on it. Protect it. And you will see the powerful men and women that you will become. And then the things that happen in our lives that, would have, that are usually bringing us to our knees will not have the same effect anymore because we walk in victory and in the authority of Jesus Christ. The next thing is Satan knows the scriptures and he uses them for his own purposes. We know some people like that too. I don't know. Just saying. Matthew chapter 4 verse 6 says, uh, if you are the son of God, jump off. For the scriptures say he will order his angels to protect you and they will hold you up with their hand so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. He was quoting Psalms 91 verse 11 and 12. You weren't aware. Now, what happens is that the world that we live in is full of so-called Christian cults where God's word is being used in a way that instead of, instead of uh, liber- uh, uh, li- uh, liberating people, thank you, instead of liberating people, it's enslaving them. Who do you think's behind that? There is a right way and a wrong way to use God's word. 2 Timothy 2.15 says, work hard so you can present yourself to God and receive his approval. Be a good worker, one who does not need to be ashamed and who carefully explains the word of truth. Now, the New King James Version uses that, that last part and says, who, rightly, who is rightly dividing the word. Rightly dividing the word. That phrase, rightly dividing, means to cut straight. To cut straight, right? It was used to describe a stonemason when they used to cut these stones real straight and perfect so they would fit in the areas where they needed to fit. If you guys know, if you cut a stone the wrong way and you're trying to align it with other stones, it's not going to fit. You need to cut straight. The devil will use God's word, but it was never meant to mean what he's trying to make it out to be. Thing is, it will never fit where he's trying to put it because he can't cut straight. So, how do we fight against these tactics? How, do we, how did Jesus fight? Jesus used the word as a weapon. Every time Jesus was tempted, the word... <laughs> The word was a weapon on his lips. I can't say it enough, church. I can't say it enough. If you want to be a strong Christian, you need to know the word of God. And I'll take it a step further because there are some people that know the word of God and will not surrender to it. Yeah, yeah, I know the Bible says that. Really? I can't tell. (laughs) I can't tell. 
No, no, I, I, know, I know what the Bible says. Then why are you struggling to, to just do what it says? If we want to be strong men and women in our walk with God, we need to know his word and be willing to obey it. God's word must be on your heart and mind. We're going to be transitioning to talking about the armor of God as we continue on this battle series. <clears throat> it's exciting. I'm excited. Um, but let's turn to Ephesians. We'll, we'll take a sneak peek, right? Turn to Ephesians 6.17 as we take a sneak peek. Put on, the salvation as, put on salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Which is the word of God. So in closing, in closing, I want to say this. We need to know the importance of getting God's word into your heart and mind. There's a quote, someone was quoted saying, if our people don't have the word of God on their hearts, they're leaving the Holy Spirit without a weapon. John 14, 26 says, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. Give you another quote. In order for him to bring the, God, the word of God to your remembrance, you must first have it in your remembrance. We can't expect God to bring back the word to our mind if we've never even read the word in the first place, right? D.L. Moodley once said, sin will keep you from this book, but this book will keep you from sin. Why are there so many weak, wimpy, and pathetic Christians? Because they don't give the word of God the attention it deserves. And some of us don't like to be called wimp, pathetic, wimpy or pathetic. I mean, I don't, I don't think anyone here likes to be called that. And I'm not saying that I'm calling any of y'all that directly. I'm not saying that you're wimpy or pathetic. I'm just saying that the reason why there are so many weak and pathetic Christians is because they are not giving the word, they're not giving the attention that the word of God deserves. I want you to reflect how much attention are you giving to the word of God. Some of you guys are getting it Sundays and Sundays only, and that is definitely not enough. Why is it so easy to fall to anger? Why is it so easy to fall into depression? Why is it so easy to be filled with anxiety? Why is it so easy to, to, to be disobedient, to be, to be rebellious? Why is it so easy? A am I wrong, though, or is it easy? 
It's easy. It's easy because the word is not being guarded in our hearts. And the enemy will come in. Because although the Bible says that we're victorious, right? Right? He'll go in there, if it's not guarded, and take it. And we'll feel defeated. We'll feel like we've lost. We feel like we, 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 can't, we can't keep moving forward. The Bible says that we serve a God who is a healer. We take that word. We put it in our heart. And then all of a sudden, it's stolen. And then all of a sudden, we, oh, this person's sick. And this person's sick. And this is not working. And this is not working. Church, can you stand to your feet this morning? It's time to start shifting our desires to match his. We know that the enemy will tempt us using natural desires, desires that are already within us. He'll start tempting with desires already in, are within us, but, but what if... We were to submerge ourselves in his word. What if we were to to really desire the things that God desires? Then we give the enemy less ammunition to work with. Church, it's time. It's time to start identifying our weaknesses and surrounding ourselves with people that will hold us accountable, that will help us through our weakness. I want you guys to start thinking about some things. We're in a spiritual war. Things are happening in our lives. You can keep thinking you have it under control. Or you can come before the feet of the Father and says, I do not have it under control. I need you. How many of us can be honest with ourselves and with God this morning and says, and say, I do not have it under control and I need you. I'm slipping, God. I'm slipping. I'm not where I once was. I'm not feeling the things I used to feel. I'm slipping. I need you. I need you. It's time. It's time to start diving into God's word and guarding it so we have a weapon to fight with. Father God, right now, speak into our hearts. Tug us, Lord. Convict us, Lord. Father God, forgive us for our rebelliousness. Forgive us for our disobedience. Forgive us, Lord, that in this war that we find ourselves in, Lord, that we make wrong decisions or that we keep trying to trust ourselves over you. Soften our hearts, Lord, right now. Tear down the strongholds that keep us from moving forward. Tear down the strongholds of pride that do not allow your word to penetrate our lives. Right now, Lord, we need you. We need you. In Jesus' name.